Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this episode of the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. Today, I have Tanya Geisler with me today, who is a leadership coach, a TEDx speaker, and a writer. And she helps women step into their power and own their authority <laughs> in work and in life. And she's also works with women, well, women, all people, I guess, not just women, but on creating impeccable impact for their business and for their life. So today we're going to be talking about a really, I think, interesting and important topic. And it's one that is near and dear to my heart because I have experienced it to the nth degree in making the shifts that I have in my life in starting my coaching practice and starting this podcast in, in writing my book. This is one that has haunted me for a while. And that's why um, I think it's probably going to be super relevant for all of us. I don't think there's a human on the planet that haven't experienced this. And today we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome. And Tanya is an expert on this. Like this is her life's work. So we're going to dig deep. So welcome, Tanya. I'm happy to have you here to talk about this. Thank you, Jen. I am so excited to be here. And if we were coaching, I would have picked up on that you not being able to say authority or you having a challenge with saying authority. And I'd be like, oh, Jen, oh, Jen, let's explore what is going on with that. But we're not. So, <laughs> okay, we're going to circle back around to that one. <laughs> we're going to definitely come back around to that one. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about what imposter syndrome is, or I think you like to call it imposter complex. And I'd love to kind of talk about what it is and what's the nuance between syndrome and complex. Sweet. Okay. So I always start with a history lesson because I'm a big fan of attributing the teachers. So it's actually imposter phenomenon. It was the term coined by clinical psychologist Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes back in 1978. So they were working with super high functioning, high achieving women at Oberlin College. And they noticed that these women seemed to be incapable of internalizing their success. Okay, so any success that these women had, they were chalking up to luck, fluke, timing, or having somehow managed mm. to convince people they're more capable than they actually were. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Their failures, on the other hand, they were more than able to identify mm. with, right? So that's where it began. They were working with these academics and they were just, there was this, there was this through line. So that was back in 78. So again, they called it an imposter phenomenon. And I think it was probably... Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In that really popularized imposter syndrome. So here's the, here's the reason I call it a complex. A syndrome really does suggest a clinical diagnosis. And it's not right. a clinical diagnosis. It's right. an experience. It's a phenomenon. Listen, trust me when I tell you my SEO people are super pissed off that I refuse to use syndrome because that's what people are searching for. But it is more of a complex. And I just feel like when we use words that are more medical, like when we kind of co-op mm. the medical terms, it can diminish people's experience who do have syndrome. So that's why I call it complex. Again, I SEO people get really annoyed with me that I just like, but I can't not. And I've had this right. conversation, can't, can't not name drop, but I have had a conversation <laughs> with Pauline Clance about this. Oh. She is delightful. She's in Georgia. After I did my TEDx talk and I referenced her work, apparently that's not really done. So her people actually reached out and thanked me. 
So we've been in conversation ever since when she was a little sick for a bit there. I did some interviews on her behalf. She's a remarkable human being. But we've had this conversation and and we both agree that we're not sure exactly what Young would have to say about us calling it a complex, but it feels closer to the truth than than an actual syndrome. So that's the sort of, that's the, that's why I call it that. And I know exactly what people are talking about when they say syndrome and that's not right. Okay. Yeah. So that's that. So they were working. So that's, so that, that's what they were noticing. This over-identification of failures, inability to internalize success. So we now have an understanding that this is actually bioevolutionary in context. It's actually mm-hmm. part of our, you know, our, it, it's there to make sure we don't mutate too fast. We don't evolve too quickly. Right. And we also understand that it is inextricably linked with our tribal need to belong. Wow. Right? So it's quite, that's, that's why it's really obsessed with where if, if we're really successful or, or a dismal failure, right? Either way, if we're way out in front or way behind, we're not really part of the pack. Right. You risk getting eaten by a lion or something. Correct. Either way. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you talked about the work being done on, with high-performing women. Is, do men experience this? And is it the same thing for men as it is for women? Well... Yes and no. So pretty much anybody with strong values of mastery, integrity, and excellence experiences this in some way, shape, or form. So the, it's my other, it's my little rant. If we think about who's at the center of the universe, right? Here, you and I, here we are in North America. So the center of the universe is the white, able-bodied, cisgender, neurotypical right. dude. I call right. him Greg because that's the name right. of my husband, right? So they like... Greg. So he's going to experience it because he's got strong values of mastery, integrity, and excellence. But for every concentric circle, we are distanced from Greg. We are going to experience it. So where we are not seeing a representation of ourselves, we're going to feel it by degrees. So, right? Particularly those who've been marginalized or oppressed or underrepresented. So that's how it's going to... So do you just think about how many different intersections... Wow. ...from Greg, you're going to feel it. So that's not to suggest that he doesn't experience it. Of course he does, because he's got strong values of mastery, integrity, and excellence. But as long as he's in places where he sees himself represented, it's going to feel less acute. And there are these six really specific behavioral traits that we experience to hide out, to not feel like the imposter, because it feels like crap. We say shit, obviously, it's like embedded in, yeah. So we feel like shit, right? So we don't want to feel like the imposter. So we go hide out in comparison or diminishment or perfectionism or procrastination or leaky boundaries or people pleasing. Yeah. You're tracking women who are paying attention. Those six things, there are a number of those that are deeply entrenched as part of our feminine conditioning. Feminine conditioning is a word by my friend, uh, Joe Casey, a mentor that I coached for a while, right? So perfectionism. People pleasing, nice girls don't. Diminishment, nice girls don't, right? So all of these, so these are exacerbated. So it's going to feel, so when Greg experiences it, it may show up for him as a variation, but it's probably not going to show up so much in people pleasing or perfection. Right. So interestingly, I mean, there are many, many, many marginalized groups out there, but I think about specifically women 50 plus, which or 45 plus, which is the audience that we're talking to today, right? Like yep. this is a group definitely who is feeling maybe less relevant than they were. Like our culture, our society um, has kind of partitioned off this group of women. And I mean, I talk a lot of people who've heard me on the podcast before. I talk a lot about kind of the, the forgotten phase of womanhood, which is 
in between motherhood and crone, which crone is like the 85 year old women sitting on the top of the mountain fighting wisdom. And I'm like, there's, there's like a whole 30 year gap there. Women yes. that just seem to have disappeared from the planet. But meanwhile, we are like so freaking badass and smart and powerful and ambitious, right? But we doubt ourselves. And so when I was reading kind of your the behavioral traits that you were just talking about, I was like, yep, me, uh-huh, yep, me, yep, oh, yeah, that's me, yep, that's me too, right? I'm like, oh, okay, this explains it, right? Like why, <laughs> why I was feeling and still do to some degree, depending upon what I'm doing. Every time I start something new, I'm like, who am I to be? Right. Right? Uh-huh. uh-huh. So I love what you just said about the acuteness of feeling feeling this imposter complex being so related to how, like where you stand on, I guess, society's ranking, how marginalized you are. Bingo. Yeah. Wow. And so, uh, so that's right. So it's, it's age, it's class, it's gender, it's ability. It's like, so each, it's, it's, yeah, sex, gender. it's race. It's, everything. oh God. Yeah. Everything, everything, everything. So in between, did you say maiden and crumb? Yeah. So Queen. I call it, well, what I call it is the maven years because the, the technical definition of maven is an expert with knowledge and wisdom to share. And I feel like that just totally encapsulated this, the group of women that I'm talking about. Yum. That's delicious. Yeah. I love that. Because there was the whole idea, like when I was thinking about this, I was like, I do not see myself as this like old woman ready to provide all the wisdom to the world. I'm like, this is just another chapter and I got some shit to do in here. Like it's different shit than I was doing before, but I got stuff to do. Yeah. Right. And then I look around and I'm looking at my peers and I'm like, yeah, I don't see any crones here. Yeah. <laughs> right. So there was this kind of hole in what is con- considered the traditional phases of womanhood that I'm like, okay, I'm filling in this one. The I love years. it. <laughs> I am here for it. I love Maven. I've not heard, I've not heard it in that context before. I love that. Yeah. I kind so of good. went through the dictionary and picked a word. What I'd love to talk about is you write a lot about the lies of the imposter complex yeah. and Again, fascinating reading, and I'm going to get Tanya at the end of this episode to tell us where to find this, because I think everybody should read this, because there was so much that resonated uh, for me. And then you talked about like what the lie is, and then how the lie shows up for you uh, based on kind of the behavioral the behavioral traits. And again, like I was checking off all of them going, yes, I do that. Yes, I do that. So it was interesting. So I'm not going to cover them all today, but there was probably about five that really popped out at me that I think are worth a conversation about today. And the first one was line number three that says you are all or you are nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh baby. Okay. So let's back up for one second. Cause what I have forgotten to do, what I've neglected to do is let you know that the imposter complex really has three main objectives. Mm-hmm. It wants to keep you out of action. Mm-hmm. It wants to have you doubt your capacity and it wants to keep you alone and isolated. So these lies are all colluding to do one, two, or all three of those things by keeping you out of action, doubting your capacity or alone and isolated. Okay. Yeah. So line number three, it's so, I mean, all of these are really complex, right? Like we could literally have an entire conversation. Yeah. On any one of <laughs> So this one here, all or nothing, this is where it is. It is absolutely obsessed with certainty. It is absolutely obsessed with perfection. And if you, if things aren't perfect and they're a dismal failure, right? You are either, or you are, are either a raging success or a dismal failure. There is nothing in between. And so I think about this one as, so, so we stay out of action, right? We stay out of action or we get stuck in perfectionism. And then when we're stuck in perfectionism, we're not producing the right. volume that we should be producing or we're producing it slower than we should be producing. Or here's the other thing that happens. We are fretting and fretting and fretting 
and we're hiding out in perfectionism. And then we look up and we go, wait, why am I having to work two to three times as hard as anybody else around me? Clearly, I don't belong. Because again, it's like just entirely obsessed with belonging, right? Right. right. So that's, so again, so it's going to either try to keep you in action, or out of action, doubting your capacity, or alone and isolated. So yeah, nine number three, John Lennon very famously said, you know, part of me thinks I am a complete loser and the other part of me thinks I'm God almighty. And the truth is when you hear those confidence extremities in your own internal dialogue, you are in the land of the imposter complex, right? Mm. When we hear the, the always and never language, that is, that's where you are. And I want you to remember when you're feeling this, recognize that your entire life happens in the in-between places of all or nothing, complete success, raging failure, right? If you literally sat down at a dinner party and you sat down next to somebody who was speaking in such confidence extremities, you have no time for that person, right? Yeah. We can tolerate it for ourselves. So right. what you would do to that person, you know, if you're like, if you actually care to engage with that human being, you'd be like, really? all or nothing. There's nothing in between. There's no nuance. There's no discernment. So that's what we need to do with ourselves. We need to challenge that, that binary thinking with really the third way. So, I mean, this one really struck me because anytime we start something new, like we go through this place of like becoming a student of the thing that it is we're doing. Mm -hmm. And when we put ourselves in that binary place is like, if I don't know, it takes away the room to like learn and to study this thing that you're interested in. Right. So it's like, if I don't know everything there is to know about this thing, then I know nothing. And like, what about all the stuff that you're learning along the way? Like, what about the body work that you're building? What about steps you're taking in your own personal development? Like, what about like all of that goodness is lost in between there? And that's, you know, really what it is. Yes. A thousand percent, which is also, linked to line number seven, which may or may not be one that you had a question about, which is, yeah, you're not ready, right? You're not ready yet. Now in this lie, line number seven, the imposter complex is finally giving us a little bit of room. It's, It's saying like, you're not ready yet. You'll be ready one day, sweetheart, but that day is not today because it's apparently total sexist take two. So, you know, but that, but that's to your point, like, First of all, everything you have done and created and sold and delivered and survived and healed and created so for this precise moment in time has, has been everything that you have needed to do the next thing, to yes. sign that contract, to launch the business, to mm-hmm. get into that relationship. And the other truth here is that nobody was ever fully, fully, fully ready for anything. Yeah, that's right? true. Yeah. And so our job has to be to remember all of the times that we were ready enough, right? That yeah. we were ready enough, that we had had done enough due diligence, that we had done enough uh, research, we had done enough competitive analysis to do the thing, to say the thing. I say this too, I work with a lot of women engineers, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, the pencil is, is sharp enough to, to write what needs to be written right? It won't be perfectly sharp. And that's where we get into the debate. Like there are always microns that it could be sharper. Yes, absolutely. And it is sharp enough to write what needs to be written, to say what needs to be said. Yeah. And I think that's the thing too. And I hear this a lot in my community and from my clients is really discounting everything that we've lived up to this point, right? Like, I mean, we have so much knowledge, experience, wisdom, and you know, the conversation I have a lot is like, what, what am I going to do next? I'm, I'm done with this career. I've done everything that I want to do. It's no longer interesting me. I want to do something else now, but 
I can't because I have 30 years invested in this thing. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, Hmm. Uh Yeah. But you completely can like everything, just like you said, everything that you have experienced up to this point has given you tools and skills that you're not even being like conscious of right now that you have, right. Like you have all these skills that are completely applicable to the next thing. And do you know why people struggle so much with naming their accomplishments or naming all that they've done? Because they don't celebrate. Yes. Oh, yes. That's a huge one. Don't celebrate. The ego wants to want more than it wants to get. Okay. That was going to be my next question to you because I read that or I, I think I maybe I heard it in your TED talk. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> that one was like, I wrote that down and I stuck it on my wall. Right. Because yeah. I was like, that is huge. Yeah. The ego it's, wants more than it wants to want. The ego wants to want yeah. more than it wants to get. More than it wants to get. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the moment we've done the thing that we said that was so important to us, we're on to the next. Right. And because we missed the opportunity to rest in celebration, to acknowledge the hard work, the tenacity, the resilience, the nose, all of the things that took us to this point, we are so quick to bypass and we're so quick to be on to the next thing because not perfect, right? So we are on to the next and we haven't integrated the hard work. We haven't, you know, taken the opportunity to let it seep into the marrow of our bones that we have done this thing. So I know when you ask your clients what they've done and they go, uh, yeah, they've forgotten about the PhD or they've forgotten about the 15 years raising remarkable humans or they've forgotten about like, they've forgotten about all of that because it has been discounted. We've diminished and we've also been told good girls don't break. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, yeah, don't, don't talk about your accomplishments. In fact, in fact, not only don't talk about them, but downplay them as much as you can. And I think that was one of your lies. Oh, oh I think it's one number six where you must tell everyone about that, you, that you're an imposter or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because, I yeah. mean, I see women who do incredible things and then they go, oh, well, no, you know, uh, that day was just a horrible day or, you know, I didn't do this quite right. So not only are we not, not celebrating, we are, in fact, actively diminishing. Yep which is one of the behavioral traits, right? So that's where we hide out because then we don't have to feel like the imposter because we're being relational and everybody feels more comfortable with us. But then we start to buy into that. And when we are on to the next, we go, well, I haven't done anything remarkable. No, that's right. Because you wouldn't allow yourself to experience the magnificence, the remarkable human that you are for doing all of those incredible things. So this is, you know, and so that's how it has us doubt our capacity. But we have to remember all of the times that we have stood at this precipice of expansion. And we didn't know everything. We couldn't know everything. But we jumped and we discovered that the party was on the other side of the resistance. So that is our job is to remember, like, to go back. And, you know, the first time you were asked to, to manage somebody or the first time Whatever, whatever the thing was the first time you did it, you didn't really know what you were doing and you did it just the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but you know, there's the I did it. But then even though I did it, I'm like, and I think this is, I'm not talking about just me. I'm talking about people in general. It's like, oh, well, that was the really shitty, you know, Brene Brown talks about this, like the shitty first draft or whatever, right? Like, yeah, I did it. But so instead of celebrating the fact that I did it in spite of all of the voices in my head who told me I couldn't do it, right? I did it. And then, yeah, but now I'm just going to downplay that one and move on. What we need to do is we need to remember that there are multiple data points in a, in a success, right? Mm. Or a delivery of a thing. And, so, you know, if you're in sales, it's not just about if the person signed on the, the line or not. It's, ha- it's, all, it's the 15 things that happened in that conversation. You can win 14 times and not get the sale. And that's okay, right? Because you won those 14 times. So our job needs to be reverse, reverse engineering what success 
a success looks like, and we need to track every single one of our wins. We need to track our good decisions. We need to track everything and Mm. pause in that celebration. It's tricky, tricky, tricky because again, perfectionists, right? Could have been better. Of course it could be better. The pencil wasn't like perfectly, perfectly sharp, but it was sharp enough. (laughs) Right. And that's a really good point. I mean, God, I'm going to take that one away from myself. I'm just thinking like, if you took a book and wrote down every single like every single step along the journey to one of your successes in every success and wrote it down and then referred back to that book at every opportunity or when you started the next project, be like, oh, look, look at all this evidence. Like, look at all these wins I had. Go me, right? Like, it's such a great idea for us just to keep reminding ourselves. Yeah. I love that one. I call that bolstering your authority thesis. Authority, Jen. Authority. 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 (laughs) Hey, got it. Got it. (laughs) Because, and and it's so challenging for so many people. Again, it's like, well, how does this, how does winning that grade seven science fair project relate to starting this new business? Because when you said yes to that, you, you jumped, right? And you landed and you discovered again, that the party was on the other side of the resistance, right? When you said yes to, to that promotion, when you said yes to doing all of those things, you didn't know you were scared, just like you are right now on this precipice of expansion. But you need to remind yourself of all of that you've done because then the other part, this, because the imposter complex wants us to doubt our capacity, this does become our strategy, our job to remind ourselves on the cellular level, all that we have done to get to this point. And we have to do that internal analysis first before we can even go. I have what I call, you've seen my TEDx talks, you know that I've got a yum and yay folder and I've got an ongoing one. Like all- You have Wonder Woman on the front for those who are not watching the video. Yeah, Wonder Woman on the front. (laughs) And this is like my seventh, I think. And this is where all of my letters and cards and sweet tweets and referrals and testimonials, that goes in there so that when I am in a moment of, oh shit, I can look at that and I can just, I pull something in my Facebook group. We've got Wednesday and I have people go through their yummy folder and like find one thing that they want to celebrate. But here's the tricky thing about that. When we go to the external and we gather this external evidence of our wins, if we haven't done that internal analysis, we will chalk it up to them just being nice. Oh, yes. Which is particularly up for those of us who are people pleasers. Right. So you have to do that internal analysis. Otherwise, it will literally be like water off a duck's back. Right. So, and, and I, feel, I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, I feel like the people pleasing and the needing to make everybody happy is much more in the domain of women than men. Mm-hmm. That it's kind of, like you said, been cultured in us. So I, so I guess how do we, uh, from the perspective of the, of the imposter complex, then how do we kind of flip that on its head? Like, how do we then be able to take that comment or that feedback or that accomplishment and then like really um, make it mean something? There's so many ways I want to answer that. So let me just do my best. So okay. <laughs> first of all, I, say, I invite you to dare to believe someone when they tell you how remarkable you truly mm-hmm. are. Okay. So that's for people who struggle with receiving compliments. Just remember, just as you don't have enough time in your day to blow smoke up somebody else's ass, can you just for a moment... Can you just dare to believe them when they tell you how powerful and amazing and brilliant you actually are? Because you would feel very slighted if somebody were to dismiss your beautiful and stunning acknowledgement. So first of all, so that's the first thing I thought, just dare, just swing up and dare to believe them. Okay. The other thing is, yes, people pleasing is probably of 
you know, perfectionism, procrastination, diminishment, comparison, leaky boundaries, and people pleasing. I would say that leaky boundaries and people pleasing are probably the most yeah. familiar to and, yes. and specifically to women. Here's the other thing that I want to say before we like talk serious shit about that, because what I'm interested in doing is to not have we. <sighs> I'm very excited about this. This isn't bad. It's not bad that we are relational, right? It's not bad that we desire perfection. It's not bad that, so I I like, I think that in the self-development space, we can do a really crap job of making, you know, of making people wrong Mm -hmm. for these behaviors. I invite people to think, actually, what is the beauty of perfectionism? Well, the beauty of perfectionism is that you've got a strong value of excellence. That is a good thing, right? And so I'll say a little bit more about that. But so I'm actually more interested in not necessarily, I want everyone to be more relational. I want more people to care about what other people think. I want more people to care how other people are. Where my work steps in is when it keeps people out of action, doubting their capacity or alone and isolated. Mm, Gotcha. So perfection is a problem until it become until it stops you from taking action, right? So so what if, and this is what I'm 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 constantly suggesting, like so what if people pleasing or what if diminishment had everything to do with your beautiful value of humility? It's not a bad thing. You know, comparison. I've done a lot of work understanding comparison, especially with my friend Lauren Bacon. And you know, what if comparison was really about connection and understanding how we just simply relate to each other? procrastination could have everything to do with your value of, of discernment, right? Like that's a good thing. Leaky boundaries has a lot to do with generosity. I mean, the, the, the language around it's a little harsh, but like right. boundaries are, you know, you want to be, you want to be generous and, and people pleasing is about your value of inclusivity. And for most marginalized people, people pleasing is actually a means to be safe. You know, yeah. survival has depended on making sure that the dominant culture is pleased. Yeah. Think about women who didn't have a vote for however, like all of whatever, you you know what I'm saying? So, so I just think that like, so I, these are a problem when they become a problem, when they keep us out of action, dead in our capacity or alone and isolated. So by all means, you know, this is the one of the 12 lies of the imposter complex. There's one truth. And the one truth is there's room for more. There's room for improvement. That's always there with us, which is amazing because we love the things that we are doing. And that's why we're doing it, right? So that's why we experience the imposter complex there. So I've just said an awful lot there. I'll pause for a second. Yeah. So, I mean, all of the, I mean, I like to think about all of the behavioral traits that you just talked about as being on a spectrum, right? And that there comes a point where you start to use it against yourself. Correct. Right. And then that's the point where you're like, okay, people pleasing has now popped into, I am now ignoring my own needs (laughs) for the needs of other people. So it's like, where are you on that spectrum? So it's neither good nor bad and you can move across that spectrum at any point at any time on anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that, like I am a people pleaser. That's just the way it is. I just, it's important to me that we relate well. It's important to me that people and where it becomes where the double bind is. So each of these behavioral traits, we go to this behavior to avoid feeling like the imposter, but when we are over identified with it, it can create more of that dissonance. So for me as a people pleaser, I'll hang out there because I want to make sure that people like me and that they're agreeing with me and that we're all getting along and everything's great. But when I get invited to take the stage or to, you know, to lead whatever it is, then I, I, my first instinct might be to say, they're just being nice. Right. It's, it has nothing to do with my talent, my skills, right, right, my right. excellence. 
right? But of course yeah. it does. It has everything to do with that. So that's the double bind. And, and each one of those behavioral traits has, has that quality to it. So perfectionism, we've already, we've addressed that where, you know, we work two to three times as hard as anybody else because we want to make sure that nobody finds out that we're the imposter. And then we go, wait, just a tick. Why am I having to work two to three times as hard right. as anybody else? Surely I'm the imposter. Right. Yes. Yeah, so just validating our own. In, I think, lie, Lies 5 and 6, and I wanted to talk a little bit about these two. And then that, I want to come back to, before the end, I want to come back to the one truth because I think there's, there's some nuggets in there. So lie number five, you must not tell anyone about your fears. And then lie, lie number six is you must tell everyone about. Right. So can we talk about that paradox a little, a little yeah. bit? <laughs> Everything is a bloody contradiction. That's just the truth. Yeah, so, that's what life is, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So don't tell anyone about this. This is, this is really where the imposter complex is, is trying to keep you alone and isolated, right? Don't tell anyone about this. Make sure that you are suffering in silence. And basically, you're, you are, it pays you hush money to, to make sure that you keep these insecurities and these fears all to yourself. The truth of the matter is, if you name it, you will create greater connection with other people because we know so many people experience this just as it was named for you. And that felt like sweet relief. I will never forget the moment somebody named it for me. I was like, oh, it has a thing. And so the way we can, it's okay to be, to, to say, I'm excited to be doing this and nervous because it matters. Yeah. And then you say that and watch the empathy and the connection and the compassion just unfold. So the flip, though, of course, is for those who are particularly, you know, people with leaky boundaries or people pleasers, we're going to make sure that everybody knows all of the insecurities that we say, I don't belong here, that we say, I'm terrified. I think that was, I think that was crap. I could have done significantly better. So this becomes problematic when we're leading teams and we now have a bit of a that vulnerability paradox, you mentioned the paradox. Mm -hmm. So this can erode confidence in us as leaders. So mm -hmm. it's, so how to calibrate and navigate that space in between naming it and not oversharing. So for me, it comes down to what is my intention for sharing? Am I looking to bridge connection? Am I looking for validation or is it something else? So we just need to pause. And mm -hmm. you mentioned Brene Brown. She has this one expression that I just find very, very powerful. If, I'm, if you're in the question of naming it or not, or overnaming it or oversharing, whatever it is, what is it that she says? Don't puff up, don't shrink back, stand your sacred ground. And when I know the truth of that, like my spine just aligns and I know exactly what I need to do then. Right. So as I'm listening to you talking, I'm thinking, you know, the oversharing or the undersharing is a, a means to escape the feeling of un uncomfortableness, right? Like, or fear that we have. And anytime that we can stand in the discomfort of something, <laughs> right? Like that we grow from it. So, I mean, I find that one particularly interesting because like my natural inclination is to, okay, I'm just going to pretend that nobody knows and <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. And, and then I see other people doing the same thing and it's kind of like, Oh, it's interesting, but we're, we're all, we're all coming from the same place. Yeah. yeah right. Absolutely. To the same, to the same end. It's so interesting. So a bunch of years ago, I spoke at a conference, women engineer conference in Philly and there was, and, and I was invited to do the same talk. It was kind of a bit of a social experiment, the same talk with a group of graduates and a group of C-suite women. And this piece around naming it, 
the C-suite women were like, oh yeah, that's the only way to get to the top is to name the experience, to find your people, to be able to have these conversations because we've all experienced it. Uh, that is the only way that you're going to get to the C-suite level. And then the, the recent grads at Collegiates were like, no, right. I'll not be doing that. Right. Ever. <laughs> but, you know, like I'm watching the VP of Google, like <gasps> this very actually extraordinarily young woman and she was like i just can't believe that i'm in the, the the company of all these great incredible women you're talking about your insecurities and it's just it's amazing and it is amazing and yeah. it does breed connection and and the yeah. more that we can i don't even like the word normalize it the more we can just name the truth of it yeah. that's when connection expansion is available to all of us and that's why i say i'm ner- you know i'm excited to be doing this and nervous because it matters it's a beautiful thing that it matters Right? We love that. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing that it matters. Like that's, and that is the flip side of it, right? Like that's the part that we're not looking at is like, we are nervous about this. We are because we want to, we want to do it right. Maybe even not from a place of perfection because it matters to us. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like I exactly. love that part. Love, love, yeah. love that part. And then, yeah, well, we talked about number 10, which is you can't trust the praise of others. Oh yeah. The other one would be like, oh yeah, yeah. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But if you were to line up each and every one of those people in your in your Yemeni folder and you were to line them all up, you know, and you just imagine that each and every one of them is actually lying to your face. Like you just, who has time for that? Who can do that? You don't do it. And why? Why would they be doing that? (laughs) It's this big old conspiracy, which is exactly what the imposter problem loves to have us believe that everybody is, you know, that, that we, that nobody can see behind the mask. We can see, we can absolutely see. Yeah. So interesting. So coming back to the one truth then. So you talked about the one truth as being there's always room for improvement. And to me, that kind of comes back to a little bit about what we were talking earlier about the process of being a student of whatever it is, because we are students, I think, for our entire lives. Like, God help me if I ever stop being a student of whatever it is. Right. Giving ourselves permission to actually be in that place of learning without feeling the imposter sin complex. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're speaking into there's, I think I named this, you know, you know more than you think and you'll never know it all. That's just that, that is like, and there's grief in that and there's relief in that as well. Uh, And so I say that, that, that one piece of truth is actually excellent news again, because we are desiring excellence and mastery in something that matters to us. So we get to devote ourselves to learning and, and getting better and better and better. And I think that I have a, structure and a process that I work with people and I never, you know, celebration will round out that one circle of evolution, but there's another one and another and another so that my work is very spiral. And because we're never finished, never, never, thank goodness for that. Because we know what happens when you're finished, right? We don't want that. So that's not what creating this big, beautiful life is about. So yeah, we are always in pursuit of excellence. And I think that's a remarkable thing. And I wouldn't want us to be any other way. But I think that what we are, as we're, you know, expanding in this beautiful spiral sort of way, we're also deepening into ourselves. We're deepening into our truths. (laughs) And what has been taking up so much time and so much energy starts to, this is the beautiful thing about the maven years, we start to recognize it's actually important, right? And that I will always be a people pleaser to a degree but I will always prioritize honoring my word to myself. That's new. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I felt, yeah, and it's interesting because when I first heard you speak on this topic and was deep, deep, deep in my own imposter syndrome at the time, where I kind of came out of um, that, and I actually listened to the podcast that we were talking about a couple of times, because there's so much, so much goodness in this topic, and we could talk for days. For me, it was the difference between head and heart, right? So like, you know, the thing that you were saying about not thinking that you know enough, that's up here. Knowing that I know so much and that like that's in my heart, right? So if I can get out of my head and into my body long enough and then just talk from that place or operate from that place, you know, work from that place, there's so much in there. But this, you, my head, is the part will con- that will convince me that, you know, you're never going to know it. You don't know it all. Like you know, that type of stuff. And that every step along the way, you're going to come back to this place of feeling like an imposter because it's something new, right? Yeah. And that's why I hope that the the lies are helpful because, I mean, obviously knowing knowing the lies and knowing the reframes, it's not going to solve everything. But if you can pause yourself long enough to to get into that conversation and say, no, I I don't know everything, but I know enough. So let's do the thing. Right? Yeah. Let's remember all the times that I didn't know everything and I still did the thing. So that's how we need to, to talk ourselves out of it. But the problem and the reason your work is needed and my work is needed is that we are at our best, at our absolute best. We always know the right next step. Yes, we do. <laughs> problem is we don't always live at our best. No, so that's we're right. Not entirely reliable with our own truth, right? So that's, yeah. so that is our work has to get uh, cleaner and truer about what is true for us and also knowing what our edges are. So lie five and six are not a one size fits all kind of situation. So if you are somebody who tends to overshare, my invitation is to share less. If you're yeah. somebody who never shares, my invitation is to share more. More, right. <laughs> this is like uh, it, the imposter complex work is about exploring what is at our edges. We've never been here before. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then that's like so true for, you know, this time of life in our maven years. It's like, if there's one thing that we need to acknowledge at this point in our lives is our truth, like 100% our truth, because we've spent a life of people pleasing and doing for others and, you know, often putting our needs on the back burner or not even at all, right? And when we get to this point in life, like for the next chapter, what we're being called to do is to honor our truth, like whatever that is, right? And to stand in that place. And so, but standing in your truth is often the place where you begin to feel like an imposter in your own truth. Right, right, right. So here's what I would, what I would say. Um, we can talk about this more at some other point if yeah. that's helpful. But, but I think that when we recognize, that it's important that we know which of our behavioral traits are the ones that we naturally tend towards right. because they actually are when they're problematic, right? Yeah. When they keep us out of action, doubting our capacity or alone and isolated. But we know which ones are the most up for us. That will help us to understand where we need some bolstering to get the unshakable confidence that mm-hmm. I think we need mm-hmm. to lead with impeccable impact. So if you're a people pleaser or, you know, or leaky boundaries are up for you, that shows me that there is, we need to pay some attention to integrity. And integrity is around authenticity and it's about being obedient to your vision. And it's about honoring your words, not to right. others. We got that handled. It's the honoring your words to, to yourself. yourself. So that's why when I said that, like, and now I know, now I'm honoring my word, that has been a very long time coming. And now it is law. It is just sacrosanct to me. That's been my work has been, I can honor my word to everybody else. Am I going to honor it to myself? The second part, if you are, if you struggle with diminishment or comparison, that's going to tell us that you're, that you need to 
pay attention to presence. And presence is where you can trust in your power, even though people have been telling you all along it's not safe to trust your power because we've seen what happened. Be able to receive support. But here's the kicker. And I feel like this is really, I feel this in my, um, feel this in my chest. I feel that there's somebody who needs to hear this, that the third part of presence is holding a reverence for yourself. Mm, that's beautiful. And I feel like that has been so backburnered by so many people, particularly at this age. We can hold reverence for others. We can hold reverence, but we do not hold reverence for ourselves. And the perfectionism and procrastination tells us there's a crisis of action, which is about a willingness to fail, tenacity, and resilience. That is there, but this presence piece, I feel, is really important for your people about holding a reverence for themselves and then honoring word, their word to themselves as, as it relates to integrity. Yeah. Okay. I got goosebumps when you, when you said that, like holding reverence for yourself, yeah. like so beautiful and integrity to yourself. I'm writing those down. <laughs> wow. This is amazing. So I encourage everybody to, and you can tell us where we can find this to go to read the 12 lies of the imposter syndrome and the six behavioral traits, because I, I got so much out of it. I a hundred percent guarantee that every single solitary person who's listening to this call who goes and reads it is going to find themselves in it. And if there's anything that we are trying to do or trying to step into, you know, new business, new career, whatever it is in our lives, mm-hmm. whether you identify with the term imposter syndrome or imposter complex or not even at all, there's still so much gold in this, just about owning our authority, stepping into our power. And then, as you said, finding reverence for ourselves, because I just like so beautiful. So where can people find more about this? So tanyageiser.com is going to be where the adventure begins. <laughs> I've never said it like that. That's just what popped in my head. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> so tanyageiser.com slash one, two. So the number one, two lies will be where you can find all of those 12 lies that we've been talking about. Yeah. com slash quiz will help you discern your own, you know, where your natural tendency, which one of these behavioral traits tends to get in the way of that unshakable confidence, which leads to impeccable impact. And then I also have some training around navigating the imposter complex, even in uncertain times at yourimpeccableimpact.com. But start at tanyageisler.com. That's going to get you oriented. That's going to open the door to all this goodness. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. And I think we might have to do a round two on this at some point because like there's like a lot more that we could be talking about. But yeah, and for the listeners, like I would love it if you can leave me a comment uh, about how this resonated for you, things that you took away. I would just love to hear your feedback because like I said, I personally have gotten so much out of reading Tanya's body of work and um, I would just love to hear how this resonates for you. So thank you, Tanya. Oh my gosh, absolutely delighted, honored to be here. Thank you. Such a great conversation. And I'm of course a yes for any follow-ups. You Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.